All right. We've got a pretty good show for you guys today. We have Jeff Bonk uh, from Homes by Bonk at EXP Realty over in Hoboken. Jeff, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. We have Lee, who's uh, in our New York City office, uh, wearing his lawyer hat today. We'll we'll, we'll cue the artificial boo sound. Uh, I think Lee might be frozen, actually. I'm not frozen. Oh, you're not. You're you're, You're just silently staring me down. I was just thinking about the fact that for our first episode, although I don't know what order it's going to come out and that we had to go to New Jersey for our first hey, episode. Don't be scared. And don't be scared. We're only, we're, we're less than one minute in and the, the New Jersey jokes are already starting. But, That's uh, all right. I get it. I get yeah, it. It's, it's a good segue though, because I honestly, we've had, you know, the, the, the format of the show basically is that we, we look at stuff from the, the New York lawyer and broker side you know, every day we're Lee and I are going back and forth on on legal and on business issues, um, and and more and more, you know, people have been been going across the river. We either start a transaction in New York and and somebody's buying something or or leasing or doing something in New Jersey. Uh, sometimes vice versa, but we actually all kidding aside, I think the flow is is heading more east to west into New Jersey. Uh, so I think. A few of the things that we wanted to talk about on this show were just, you know, what, what that market looks like, how it might differ, what you're seeing with your team, um, and also talk about some of the differences. You know, we'll, we'll get a little bit into like the technical contract close side of things mm-hmm. and how it differs, uh, but more importantly, just just the flow of the transaction, the pace, and we might find it's not so different. For uh, sure. But uh, yeah, it would be good to, if you want to, Jeff, just, uh, you know, give the quick elevator pitch on your, your team over there and uh, how, how you came to be the Jeff Bonk of Hoboken. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, so Jeff Bonk with the HPB Group here in Hoboken. We've uh, been doing this for about 10 years. Uh, my wife and I met. Uh, my prior, prior life was in finance, got out of that industry, and found my way kind of accidentally, as most of us do, into the real estate business. Uh, it's very few people's first careers, and people find their way here through some other industry that they're looking for a change, and that was us. Um, met in real met her in real estate and I said, you know what, this business, I think if it's taken seriously and you actually have some purpose behind how you how you run it, you can make a lot of money and have a great, build a great little organization in this industry. And I I saw an opportunity to do so there. That kind of got me out of that corporate grind. I was tied to three screens for five, six years in, in midtown yeah. Manhattan and you know, 10, 12 hours a day. And I was just looking for a way out of that grind. Um, one you know, one thing led to another. We started building a nice little core business here and it started mushroom, mushrooming out a little bit. And uh, we hi- started hiring buyers agents, some admin staff and come to the place where we are today with 12 agents on the team, five staff members. We have a fully dedicated transaction department. We're hiring a new marketing person. We have a full uh, director of operations and uh, our core business is here in Hoboken. We spread out to Hudson County a little bit from there. And now we're also starting to work into some of the feeder markets that we're, we're feeder markets of them, those suburban markets, the train lines into Manhattan um, that people go to from here once they have their first or second kid. So uh, it's a business that kind of grew organically. And then we started putting some purpose behind it, the way we run it, but where the business grew and how it kind of uh, our network took us is is a little bit of an organic growth story. Right. That's awesome. And, and you know, interestingly enough, or ironically enough, uh, it took a trip to San Diego for me yeah. to meet Jeff, who's... You know, we, we were joking when we were out there, probably uh, as the crow flies, very short trip from where I am. Yep. I'm, I'm sitting in Long Island now, Lee's in Manhattan. But even from Manhattan to Hoboken with traffic and rivers, 
it, it was actually easier to just meet on the West Coast. Me. 100%, man. I was in Manhattan twice on Sunday, once in Midtown early in the day, and it took me literally 12 minutes to get in through Lincoln Tunnel. And then later in the day, I found myself in Brooklyn, and it was about an hour and a half drive to go nine miles. So yeah, it's a, it's a, we live in it. People are like, how big of an area do you cover in, in Hoboken and Hudson County? I'm like, I don't know, like five square miles. They're like, that's yeah. it? I'm like, yeah, because it takes me three hours to get 20 miles in northern New Jersey. So you can't cover a big area, right? It's a weird exactly. place. But um, we had a good time meeting you out in San Diego. It was, it was an ironic situation for sure. Yeah, uh, definitely. We uh, and and I guess we already started talking a little bit about maybe the differences just in uh, commute times and and how how you guys cover territory there. But uh, yeah, we just to tie it all together. Like I I think this fast forward movement that we've joined at EXP is is really it, it's been key because there are there's so many people who now I I'm thinking. We, we can not just have a podcast with Jeff and talk about New Jersey, but we could talk about how it is all over the country at this point. Yep. Uh, but this one, I, I think, is this, this hits the closest to home because even though the North Carolinas and Florida has always been popular for, for New Yorkers to move to and Arizona, West Coast, this is, I would say, still like the most common move and the most natural fit for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this is, this is a good one to kick it off. And Lee, I don't know if you have anything to add before we start getting into it. We kind of already have. I mean, I guess my question is what, what's the, what's the elevator pitch, Jeff? So if I'm a, if I'm in Manhattan and I'm thinking, okay, I can move to Westchester, I can move to Long Island, uh, or I can move to, to New Jersey, uh, outside of the fact that I don't have to pay uh, New York city resident tax in any of those three locations. If I'm a, you know, if I'm a young starter, starter family, uh, thinking about having kids or have kids, why, why New Jersey over those other locations? Why are people moving to New Jersey? It seems like in droves over the last couple of years. Yeah. So we, um, in our market, which is like that kind of middle ground market before people go to the full suburban three, four five bedroom, you know, acre of land, half an acre of land, we're at a condo, townhouse, you know, still New York City pricing. We're just a step below it, not like the big dramatic move. And we have uh, we have two different types of buyers, really. One is like people coming back to Jersey because they started here and they might have moved to Manhattan after college for their first job, rented there, bought there. And now they're looking for more space, looking for a place to kind of grow into. And Jersey's the obvious choice because they have family here and they want to be closer to the Jersey Shore, the suburbs, the people that they know. So it's, it's no consideration to go north or west or East, it's just an automatic Jersey. Uh, and then we have the other people who come and they're exploring both Brooklyn, uh, Long Island City, Hoboken, Jersey City, and kind of they want that more space. And they're trying to find the right fit. Um, the big draw to this side is people do like the option to get to the shore, get to the mountains, get out West a little bit easier than if they were on Long Island or in Brooklyn or in uh, Long Island City, just a different kind of feel here. And it, you get out of, uh, the city much quicker on the Jersey side than kind of like those first layers of Brooklyn and Queens that you still have a lot more city behind you before you get to like the suburbs out in Long Island. Right. So it's, it's a little bit of a calmer, um, uh, secondary market to the city. And it also still provides, like I said, 12 minutes into Midtown on a bus tunnel on, on a Friday morning, even with a lot of traffic. And on the weekends, you could be in the city in the 15 minutes, anytime. Um, so yeah, it has a little bit of best of both worlds in that degree. And that's what people seem to be looking for when they come here. More space, uh, for less money was the big draw five years ago. Now we're kind of finding some parity, but still a little bit more value than you find in, in most parts of the Manhattan. Definitely. I'm, I'm 90% sold actually. 
actually is my family over I'm, there. I'm moving he, to Hob- I'm moving to Hoboken tomorrow. But but speaking <laughs> so, so it's funny because he Lee and I grew up together on Long Island, and Lee was Lee was a Brooklyn guy for a long time. As we thought that Lee was going to be in Brooklyn forever, COVID changed things for a lot of people, and mm-hmm. so Lee's now up in Westchester. Uh, so th- I I actually didn't even think about this until we had the three of us talking about the different suburbs. But we actually have three different personal viewpoints of that triangulation of Manhattan. Um, and I, I agree when you look out, especially if you, if you're in one of like those new Hudson Yards towers and you, you look out your window facing West, like if you're, if you're in Jersey, you can see home practically. Uh, if you're looking East to Long Island, you've got miles and miles of Queens to get through. Uh, <laughs> and you know, Bronx, you get through a little bit quicker on Metro North, but uh, it's, there's still that buffer, the city, the outer boroughs create that buffer Yep. Um, and Hoboken is, is pretty nicely placed, right? I mean, that's for, for people who might be listening or watching this that, uh, you know, are too lazy to Google map it maybe, uh, like where, where are you, if you were looking across the Hudson, like what, what street is that roughly? Or like what, uh, yeah, so is that? we're directly between the Lincoln and the Holland tunnel. So you got like 35th, 37th on the North end of town. And then on the South end you have like, you know, lower Manhattan. So you're kind of right in that you're a little above like the wall street section. So Chelsea kind of all that stuff all the way up to like pretty much midtown. Um, and the, the skyline, honestly, I think too, is probably the best view of Manhattan you get from Hoboken. Cause you get that midtown, you get that downtown, you have the whole, like the waterfront in Hoboken is just ridiculously gorgeous. Though when you look across the skyline and, um, it's, it's so accessible. I mean, you have the path train, which is extension of the subway, essentially. Then you have a bus line that goes right through the Lincoln tunnel. And then you have two ferries that go one from the north side of town, one to the, from the south, eight minutes into different ports on the other side of Manhattan. I mean, it's really, really convenient and easy. Yeah, traffic can hit you and you can get a little wacky and crazy on certain days and certain uh, times of the year. But for the most part, it's it's so super smooth and seamless. Hey, right. Jeff, how, how did you decide to take your team there versus obviously you, it sounds like you were in Midtown or downtown. I don't know. Where you, where you were working, you had your network there, your people there. I'm sure you had friends in, mm-hmm. in Manhattan. So, um, how'd you decide? Let me take my start my team in Hoboken versus Long Island City or or Williamsburg. Was that a was that a decision that you were grappling with? It was it was natural. I'm a Jersey kid. I grew up. I went to Rutgers. Um, when I was working in Manhattan, I still lived in Hoboken. So I was my core, my my real sphere. Everybody was in Hoboken on the Jersey side of the river to begin with. Uh, Sure, had contacts and colleagues and things in Manhattan, but my real 90, 95% of my sphere of influence, network connections was on the Jersey side already. So it was kind of a natural thing. And how long ago was that? Uh, 10 years ago. So what, what, what's been the biggest change over the last 10 years? How has the, how's the market changed? How's your business adapted and changed? I guess I'm also interested in how it changed over the last two years, but um, mm-hmm. you know, what's been the evolution for, for your business and for the market out there? Yeah, so the uh, the Hoboken market was starting to see this trend when we first got into the business, but it was nearly not as established and strong as today. And that's the young family staying in Hoboken longer than it used to be. The joke was like, it's first, second, someone's pregnant, they were gone to the suburbs. And then it was like, all right, one baby for like a year. And then I was like, all right, now the parks are getting nicer and there's some more hot elevator buildings that can deal with the stroller for another extra year or two here. And then I was like, you know what? That pre-K three and four, that's free and like really a highly rated uh, system. That's great. I'm going to stay an extra couple of years. And now it's like, 
people have kids here until high school almost, if not through high school at this point. There's a bunch of high schoolers running around. And uh, that just was not the dynamic 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So that's become more and more and more and more common and, and really a, a way that we see the, the whole town moving. Um, the last two years are crazy, right? So we went, the day, as soon as COVID hit, everyone left, like gone, like drop of a hat. It's like a lot of you guys saw in Manhattan, right? And Brooklyn and Queens, a lot of the dense areas. As many people that could and had family or had the ability to go rent something somewhere else or go stay somewhere else more rural where they had more space to get outside. I mean, we live in a 500 unit condo building and we had to wear a mask everywhere we went. Couldn't get in an elevator with somebody. Like people were freaking right. out, like had to go. So everyone left, tenants left, people tried to get their places re-rented. Some people were trying to list it to sell, fire sale it. We carried before COVID as a team somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10, 12 listings at a time. We ballooned to like 50 overnight. And it was just like wow. no show. You couldn't do showings. Like you were doing virtual showings, trying to do, it was bananas. Um, that lasted through like July, August. And then things started getting better. That first wave of things getting better before we went like down, up, down, up again, over and over and over. And people just right. started coming back. Over the next year, it's, it leveled out into a normal market. And then in the last like six months, everyone's getting called back to the office. Oh, I got to go back one day, uh, three days. Uh, they're saying it's probably going to be four days. And all of a sudden, it's like 50% higher rental prices than it was pre-COVID. We're seeing we're probably 10, 15% through the highs that were in 2019 before COVID hit and kind of took everything for a ride. It's just five offers, 10 offers on everything for rent and probably three to five on everything for sale. And it's just everybody trying to get back into town because they don't want to do the two-hour commute that they thought sounded so good when it was only one day a week or maybe every other week. So it's been a dynamic ride, uh, both on a big macro scale over the last 10 years. And then the last two years have just been like whipsaw and kind of wild. Right. What, um, what lessons did your team take away from that? So, you know, the world's like a changed place, right? And uh, you never know, hopefully knock on wood, no new variants are going to come to shut things down again. But yeah. what, did, what was your takeaway from that? Um, and yeah. you know, how, how's your pl how, what's the plan for the future if something similar were to happen? Yeah, when we when everything kind of first started unraveling, we just got into hyper build, like maintain, build, and cement relationship mode. Like transactions and, and things like that were secondary to just building relationships, checking in on our people, our clients. You know, all day was just spent kind of just reaching out, letting people know we're here to help if you need us. But like. Hope everything's okay in general. If there's any, we have a lot of contacts around town. If you need things, like we're here. Um, so relationship focus was just like, it's always the focus, but became Uber the focus from there. What we really found to work well and something that we've kind of lasted with us even more now is we need to be very prepared, but very flexible at the same time. That was like the kind of mantra that took us through the early days of COVID where we need to have a plan, two plans, three plans, because what's going to how things are going to go over the next few weeks months years we don't know exactly and we need to be ready for like variant drops people could call back to work list the property oh wait a second another variant pull it back down you're going to stay you can, like, you can, you can curse it's okay you can, i didn't know for cursing or not yeah yeah we're sure. like you guys are lawyers like it's kind of official i wasn't really sure we actually so have we have, we have we have like a block at the end of the podcast to just to just curse for like five minutes straight <laughs> just let so it all out if you want to save it for then, that's fine. But feel free to, I mean, we're talking about COVID, so everybody's cursing. It's fine. That's right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, but that was kind of the, the name of the game was like super prepared, super like well thought out, 
but not necessarily doing anything right now. Like maybe then having then having to wait for the world to give us the signal to impl- to employ that to deploy that plant, right? So, and that's something we continue to do now because it is still, even though you know, hopefully we're on the backside of this, things are still changing quickly. Like things with employers calling people back to the office as rapidly rapidly increased versus what everyone kind of expected. It seemed, at least from, from my side of what we're hearing. Um, so that that's kind of the big takeaway that we keep is still in our business today. My son just thought, speaking of vestiges of COVID recording from home, my son just wanted to show me he did a double knot in his sneaker. Nice. Good job, yeah. man. Just turned seven on Saturday. So he's, he's uh, already happy birthday. That. He's, I don't think I, I don't think I can even do a double knot. On my I don't even know what a double knot is. What is it like a Boy Scout thing? <laughs> Sailing or Boy Scouts? Which one? He he actually saw a Cub Scout, so it's only been like a few months. But I don't know. Maybe he's he'll he'll be <laughs> tying triple knots and and whittling things. I, I love it. We don't know what to expect, but uh, I love it. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, Jeff, but one of the things that I noticed from COVID, like there there are some some positive things that that are kind of hung over from COVID. So w- one of them is definitely. Uh, at least in the Long Island market, I know in New York City uh, on the residential side, the idea of get me your pre-approval, get me your proof of funds, get me everything to show you're solid before we book that appointment and schedule it and, and everybody gets there. That mm-hmm. got like ensconced during COVID. Like that was that was the best practice. But, you know, you put a listing up, especially a spring listing, it's a hot house or, or apartment, and it's hard to kind of hold back the tide without people yep. just saying, I'll, I'll get it, I'll have it. You don't want to miss this opportunity to see a great buyer. Um, yep. Are you finding that too, that that's also, that that kind of held firm and especially for listing agents, it's it's a lot easier to, to, to pre-qualify people? Yeah, you know what? I hear that story all the time. It didn't happen. We didn't, we didn't see it happen here. Didn't see it. Uh, yeah, what we saw for a very brief period of time was make an offer, submit your application you know, for purchase or for rent before we were even going to let you in the apartment because literally it was like the dark days of like really bad COVID two, three months there. Um, but after that, it kind of went back to business as usual here, but I've heard those stories of, yeah, like now, like we're, we're kind of hanging on to some of those pre-approval, like make, before the showing listing agents want to see pre-approvals or proof of funds for whatever reason, it, it just didn't, didn't stick here. But um, I, I, I see both sides, right? Like it could be easier because now you're only letting qualified people in and you're doing that diligence up front. But this other side, it's like an extra thing to manage at the same time right? to, to have that. So seeing both sides of that. Sounds, it sounds like the market there kind of more closely mirrors Brooklyn and Manhattan where maybe we're seeing a little bit less of, of that type of um, behavior from, from, from agents and attorneys um, before a deal was struck. Yeah. I think so. We do close, pretty closely mirror the style of, of trans, not, not style of transactions as far as logistics of it, but like pricing and like patterns were very closely tied to like a, a Williamsburg, Manhattan, Hoboken, Jersey City has the same. Like if everyone's leaving, if rents are going crazy, if prices are going up, down, whatever, we're, we're pretty tightly aligned with what they see as well. Because we're really, we, we're still our secondary market for sure to that, those markets. But we're becoming much more in parallel with them price per square foot wise and kind of uh, demand wise as well. There's a story, I think it was like three or four years ago in New York Times, which was like, don't be scared of New Jersey. I don't know if either one of you saw this back then. It was like people are moving to New Jersey. I actually, I wrote that story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, very well written. Very, very well written. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. 
Um, nice. But it's, it's a joke, right? And it was kind of a funny story. But at the same time, I can remember for years doing open houses and our, our team's still doing them today. And, and people walk in and you can kind of see it on their face. They're like a little nervous. Right. And it's like, you come, you come from Brooklyn or Manhattan, which one? They're like, how'd you know? It's like, don't be scared. It's okay to live in Jersey. Trust me. It's just like, it's just like, right. Manhattan. It's you, gonna, you speak, you're going to be fine. You language. This is, yeah. you look, you look normal. Right. <laughs> those, those are the people that are those second group that didn't, don't have roots in Jersey. They're the ones like exploring yeah. both sides, trying to figure it out. The Jersey people usually have a familiarity. They've been driving through Hoboken, Jersey city for years growing up, going into Manhattan. But uh, you could tell, right. That they walk in and then, it used to be this at least like five years ago. Wait, I get how mu- I get how much space for for what price? And, and now people are like, yeah, I'm over here in Jersey for a deal, and you're like, sorry, that's actually not the case anymore. So it's, it's a fun, depending on like the level of experience of people have with the area. It's like, is it, is it noisy in in Hoboken? Well, where are you coming from, Midtown or Pennsylvania? Like, because right. it's a different answer depending on your 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 uh, baseline. So exactly, it's, it's dynamic to say the least. As a as a former Williamsburg guy, I'm kind of curious. This might be a little duplicative of, of one of my earlier questions, but how do you, you know, the 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 Williamsburg young couple comes in, or the Manhattan young couple, and they say, "I'm between Greenpoint and and Hoboken." How are you? How does your team train to persuade that buyer um, to pick uh, Hoboken over Long Island City or Greenpoint? You know what? Yeah. What's your, what's your uh, means of persuasion? I wouldn't really call it persuasion. I'd call it more of just like kind of like explaining the differences and and letting them then decide what's the better fit for them. Because the worst thing you want to do is like talk someone to something and then halfway through a process, they're like, well, I reconsidered and went this way, right? So like helping yeah. counsel people and giving all the information to best practice for them and for yourself. Uh, but the, th- the way that we like to talk about this side versus the other side is Hoboken is a little disconnected, the feel that it has from Manhattan. So if you feel like coming home, and kind of being a little bit disconnected. There's not subways running through the whole thing. There's one path station. It's all the way in the corner of one part of the town. So there's not like a lot of hustle and bustle once you get away from that area. You can still jump on a bus. You can still jump on the ferry, but it's slower. It's a little calmer, a little bit more of a a breath of fresh air versus the the busyness of the city all the time. Jersey City right next door, though, however, if you want to take a $5 Uber over there, is an extension of Manhattan. It's got seven uh, path stations all spotted all over the place. So you have better restaurants popping up because you have more kind of diverse foot traffic, people going to work to and from. So they have more eclectic kind of feel versus Hoboken, which is a little bit more of that more suburban feel to it. Like you've got that, that separation. So you have both options here. You can pick to live in either one and still have you know, t- borderline, they're touching each other, options to the other one. Uh, the other side is like that ex- access to the mountains, that access to getting into the country a little bit quicker and getting to the Jersey Shore. If people don't know, don't have roots in Long Island or going to the, the beach by you guys, you know, Jersey Shore is a good option as well. There's a cool vibe down there that we always talk about. And then the access to the, the upstate New York is a little bit easier for here. Mm-hmm. Poconos and kind of those those secondary uh, leisure spots that in the wintertime and in the summertime as well. So it's just a matter of what you're looking for. Do you want to be kind of like still in it? Or do you look? Are you looking for a little bit of that pause, that more space? Right. Yeah, that's something that uh, unless you're unless you've lived on Long Island for a while, or you're from there, you, I think people don't have an appreciation for just how much time it adds when you want to go anywhere. I mean, airports. If you're flying, it's fine. Long Island's great. We actually have the two major New York airports on mm-hmm. this side, uh, but 
driving unless unless you have a boat and you're right on the water you're not getting off the island unless you're flying occasionally <laughs> or driving and you're adding at least an hour because yep. there are choke points you have to go over at least two tunnels bridges some combination of those things and you know the options are straight up the middle of manhattan which is usually not the way to go bronx staten island but you're also going through brooklyn there's you you could cross through three boroughs in some cases before you get to new jersey if you're going like the southern route um yep. And it's it adds a lot of time, so it, there is there is something to be said if you're somebody who likes to take those weekend trips. Um, I could see Hoboken being that that nice middle ground that you're talking about, where it's it's got uh, like a, a more uh, on the urban to rural scale for suburbia. It's more to the urban side, but it's it's a little bit. I, I get what you're saying about not having the subways running through. Uh, I think to get that same experience on the east side or even north of the city. You'd have to go pretty far into Queens or pretty far north in the Bronx. Uh, and even then, you lose some connectivity where you might end up driving places uh, and not have easy parking in any of those yeah. spots. So, I, joke. I, think, I think once per episode, we're going to have to do a geography with Mike Flynn where you start to get into <laughs> really specific geographical advice that no one else could possibly conceptualize without a map in front of them that you just have yeah. imprinted in your – in your I think head. it's my, my dad drove a yellow cab for a while uh, before he went to law school. So maybe maybe it's just like built in. Uh, but if if anyone's watching the video, you can see my eyes flitting across the screen. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing this is, the things. This and, is geography with Mike Flynn. I'm with yeah. you, Mike. I think that's why we hit it off so well when we met out in San Diego. Because I, I one day, I think I might have told this story when we were on that you, boat. You, that that's night, right. You had right? really uncanny sense, actually. I remember I was like Uber with you all over the place. And I, one day I was on a plane know, five, six years ago, and I'm going to, going to Red, my wife, right? Oh, there's Madison High School. Oh, there's the river. Oh, the, oh that's where the, and some dude just leans over my shoulder over the, the seat from behind me goes, dude, you work for fucking Google Maps? What, what the hell? <laughs> I'm, well, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that gets off the subway, and I just stand on the corner for like 20 minutes tr- trying to figure out which way north is on this grid of Manhattan. So I love it. Uh, yeah, these the, the polar opposite. But yeah, I remember we were, we were in the middle of the harbor, I think, and it was nighttime, and we just we had landed in San Diego maybe five hours before. Jeff's like, I believe that's where we're hiking tomorrow. Uh, that's that park. And we're like, oh, I think you're just messing around. It's like, no, 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 it definitely is. No, that's that because that's yeah. Tijuana down there, and that's when I'm like, that's, right. we got my bearing. I don't like panic if I don't know my my like directions. I'm like, I gotta it, know, I gotta know where I am. That's so I put I put on Google Maps to get to the supermarket. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it can be helpful if, if you if you want to check traffic patterns. I, I'm really addicted to ways at this point. Like even when I know where I'm going, I find myself just automatically putting it in, just oh, so yeah. that it's like I could save that two minutes. And usually, it ends up costing time. But I think they're messing with us to a certain degree, man. I tell you, I take a wrong turn every now and then, and all of a sudden my time goes down. And I'm like, I don't know what their agenda is here. Like yeah. there's something going on where they're trying to like spread the traffic out or something. And it's not always the best route. It's uh there's some, something I'm on to you Zuckerberg and, uh, and, and uh, I think it's the Google sure. contingent Cook. that bought that one. <laughs> yeah. They all, I think they all get together. Zuckerberg, they, they get Zuckerberg together will own it eventually anyway. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's funny. So, so what, what should we shift to now? Do we want to talk about, uh, one of the things I definitely want to make sure we get in is is just differences um, between New York and New Jersey, and, and particularly lower New York. Because I know that that upstate it's it's even a little bit different. But in New York, 
definitely from Westchester out to Long Island in the city, you have offer acceptance. It's it's basically a handshake. We don't really call it that, but it's an it's an orally acceptable offer that the mm-hmm. seller says, I, I, I agree in principle to these terms. Now go pay for a home inspection. And if you have any issues, you know, the attorneys aren't going to pick up pens or or that's kind of antiquated. They, they're not going to start typing up contracts until we know all the issues on, on a home inspection. And by the way, the home inspector is booked for three days. So we're like six days out before an, a contract even goes out. And, you know, technically, unless you have a letter on file from the seller that says, I, I want to honor this, this handshake and don't show it uh, until we know that these people are, are or are not going to sign a contract. In most cases, that doesn't happen. And you just have showings going on and, and you could continue to get bid up even after you spent six, $700 on a home inspection. Uh, I would say the average you know, handshake uh, or meeting of the minds to actual contract is probably 10 to 14 days in New York, which to me is, is always been a little bit nuts. Um, yeah. And you're doing, and you're applying for your mortgage in there, right? Before, I mean, you're, you're incurring all those fees typically or, or usually the, the pre-approvals that, that, you'll get in New York, you can get like a almost fully underwritten one where it's just, just tell us what the property is. Once we get the contract, we'll order the appraisal. In a lot of cases that gets stalled also. And it's not until the mortgage loan officer gets the fully executed contract that they're like, in some cases, collecting all the, the tax returns, pay stubs. Appraisal sometimes doesn't get ordered for two, three weeks after contract. And so the, the whole thing, I would say like, 60 to 90 days is, is the norm. And that's from contract. Uh, wow. it's, it's probably closer to a hundred days. If you're factoring in like the, the very first time that buyer walked into the house and expressed interest. Wow. That's yeah. uh, which first, first of all, I think we should probably address the fact that Manhattan's five blocks that way. And I have no idea how that process works until you kind of, with me. Like, that's how separate our markets are. Right. Like people are like, do you cover both sides? Like both sides of the Hudson? I'm like, no, I don't even, I don't know one thing about how real estate works on the other side. I got some good agents for you if you need a referral, but that's about it. Right. So it's kind of wacky that that's the case. Um, but yeah, our process is way different. Uh, not, I guess not way different, but, ve- but pretty different. Um, that doing inspections and like being open for that long before a contract gets gets solidified and gets and you get protected, uh, people freak out about two three days of attorney review and trying to get through that here and, and being protected and people left and right you get an accepted offer after fifteen offers come in and then you take two or three days to get the, the riders back and forth and you're up another hundred grand just in that time period forget you know ten fourteen days but um we have this weird thing like every time we have a converse, initial conversation with someone you ask is if you ever bought a house before in new jersey because we're one of the very few states i think right you guys probably know better than me we're like a half a dozen to a dozen states that have attorney review most states don't have attorney review that's about right yeah in that, somewhere in that ne- neck of the woods um and attorney review is kind of a weird thing but it's a nice thing that it shortens that window of being open to other offers coming in so when we make a get a buyer makes an offer we actually make an offer in a full contract form so we, if someone's like, I like that house, I want to make an offer on it. It's not like a call. It's not an email. It's not a one pager. It's an 11 page document that you put fully together and you submit that to the seller, the listing agent as your offer. Now you could do a one page like offer to purchase, just summarizing the terms, but it's our practice all over at least Hudson County, North Jersey. You make that offer in full contract form or you're not a real serious offer. You're kind of not looked at as someone who took the time and the energy to put forward the, the true official offer. 
um, which is weird because now it has us with first time home buyers going, I know you're signing a contract, but I promise you it's not binding. And this is just an offer. And we're just filling in all of the pertinent details to you in the transaction. And the other 11 pages is 99.9% .9 boilerplate, which 80% of the time people are like, okay, that makes sense. And 20% of the time they're like, what? No, I'm getting an attorney to look at this. I'm signing a contract. Like, no, like can't be right. Like that doesn't feel intuitive, right? That you're signing a contract and it's not binding. And then you tell them, not only is it not binding, now when the seller signs it, it's still not binding for another three to five to six days until we get through something called attorney review. And they're like, all right, so now we have a fully signed contract that's not binding. Like again, like super unintuitive, right? And you kind of 60, 70, 80% of people get it and the other side want to talk to attorneys, slow things down. So it's not... It's not a utopia and a, and a perfect process. I think there's probably some tweaks that can happen here too. But the nice thing is after that attorney review rider gets fully executed on both sides, we're done. Like nobody can walk away for any reason other than a contingency that, that doesn't get hit, like an appraisal, like a mortgage, like an inspection that can't get agreed upon. And none of that stuff starts happening until after attorney review, which is nice. So you're not laying out 500 to 1,000 bucks on your inspection. You're not starting your mortgage process. And once you get out of attorney review, you can go full on with that, with both of those pieces without worry of someone else coming in and knocking you out. So our, that shortens our contract to close period, probably uh, 15 to 30 days shorter than yours. We're in like the 45 day to 60 day window. And most of that is only because the mortgage company needs that much time to get through underwriting and do their due diligence. We get slowed down a little bit on the condo side because the mm -hmm. condo is a, a kind of another animal that needs to be need to get documents from this management company, then the insurance needs to be provided from this person. And you don't always have the most responsive people there. That's one of our hiccups in the urban market here that the suburban market moves much quicker through. Um, but it's it's a it's a smooth process once you can kind of get your mind around that the contract isn't binding until a later date, which is kind of the one quirkiness of our of our process, to say the least. How, how does the diligence factor into the attorney review period for, for condos? So two different ways. One is uh, it gets done during attorney review, which can slow down attorney review considerably. So if the buyer doesn't feel comfortable getting out of attorney review until they get all the condo docs and review them and all that, that's one side of it. The other side is an attorney that may not have, in my opinion, what's the best practice of writing into the writer an a document review period. So to protect the buyer, most good attorneys, the ones we work with and refer, they'll say, all right, we're going to conclude attorney review, but we get five days after delivery of docs to review them and still get them back out of the deal if we find something in the financials or the bylaws that we don't like. But we only get that option. And you, we're bound otherwise. To, we're, through, we're out of attorney review. So that's how like 90% of transactions work. If you once in a while, you get an attorney that's not familiar with New Jersey law, doesn't practice real estate on a regular basis. You know, They might be primarily a litigator or primarily in another state. That's where we run into problems where they don't put that in. And now we have a two week long attorney review and that buyer does get knocked out or something mm -hmm. happens like that. So in, in most cases, it's after attorney review. You, it's, I call it like a free look because you're protected, but you essentially, I mean, you can, you can see anything in the financials or the bylaws you don't like and probably still make a strong case that you want to get out of that contract for any reason, using that as your excuse. Not that we're promoting doing that, but that's your free look at that point and the seller is bound to the contract. Yeah, New York, it's kind of the reverse. And that's sometimes why the contract phase is longer because those three to five to seven days where you're waiting for the the slow management company or even the fast management company to coordinate the documents and reviewing a 300-page 
offering plan in some cases and yeah. you know complicated financials uh, and coming up with questions and waiting for those answers that elongates the process on the front end and very often we won't even um, we won't even really meaningfully engage in the contract yet until we have a good sense that there's nothing you know really serious there are no real serious issues with the building yeah. so we're not kind of wasting our clients time or money on the legal side um, so I do kind of like that that flip in, in Jersey. Yeah. That, and you guys, I'm sure have, you have a lot more buildings, right? Like our guy, our Hoboken attorneys, they get familiar with the buildings. They know them like the back of their hands. Like there's, there's either a bunch of big buildings or it's kind of a smaller three and four unit brownstones that have been converted into condos. And those all kind of operate the same way. And then the 10 big buildings in town, you already know because you do deals in them all the time. I can imagine covering Manhattan as an attorney, like you never, I'm sure you see the same building more than once, but you see a bigger breadth of buildings, I can imagine, than uh, the smaller kind of concentration that we have. So it's got to be tough to yeah. review those things from scratch every time. It's always the smaller buildings that are problematic because the oh, smaller yeah. buildings are where they, where there's more bespoke provisions or there's just not a, you know, a good management company running things. Mm-hmm. So um, things fall yeah. through the crack. Yeah, the this, is a good, this is a good piece for is, uh, good piece for a different podcast episode talking about closely held condos and co-ops because there are numerous issues. But um, yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, if you're dealing with a well-established management company, you're not going to run into too many issues. When you're not dealing with, with a well-established management company or it's self-managed, that's when you start to run into delays. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And also like the self-managed we have here that can kind of become comes a problem four units one guy said i'll take the lead on everything and then he doesn't respond to an email for two weeks yeah. he doesn't have the documents actually in, in, in any kind of order i'm not getting paid for this right you yeah right do you yeah. guys have a lot of co-op inventory or is it mostly no. condo mostly almost all condo in in hoboken there's apparently this one co-op that exists i've never seen it firsthand but someone's like everyone's like yeah there's a co-op in hoboken I'm like tell me the address because i've never seen it um <laughs> But they they did a bunch of co-ops up on like the cliff of like Jersey City Heights and Union City and such. Um, they're different than your co-ops from what I understand. They're a lot more restrictive. Your, co- your co-ops operate like condos more commonly than ours do. Ours are very, can't rent them out for X amount of years. And I'm sure you have some of those too, but I think that you have more of that operate like condos. Um, so our co-ops, when you kind of get a co-op deal around here, first of all, the price is suppressed by about 50%. Like it's just buyer pool shrinks to, 10, 20% of who would consider it if it was a condo. And it's just the, the price goes from, I mean, maybe more than 50% on the suppression, honestly, um, because it's just, you, you don't have the, f- the freedom of flexibility to resell it in the timeline that you want to. You can't rent it out in the timeline you want to. You can't make alterations in the timeline you want to. And it just kind of turns a lot of people off, especially when people are here for a quick stop. A lot of times, like half of our buyers buy, they live here three or four years, and then they rent it out afterwards for two, three, four years try to get a little bit of that upside appreciation, sell it before cap gain taxes, you know, that whole kind of strategy to the last five years. Can't do that in a co-op, which just kind of kills that whole buyer pool. Maybe you can frame it as an exclusive co-op that nobody could find. And with that exclusivity, <laughs> you turn it into almost like a treasure hunt yeah. for a co-op. <laughs> this would be like a really that good... Be, that might be attractive to a certain class of buyer. I like it. Yeah, we can like have like a whole like community event around it, right? Like, who could find the co-op? Who can actually produce this co-op that we keep hearing about? <laughs> where in the world is the co-op, or where in Hoboken is the co-op? It's yeah, on, I love it. It's on first, on it's on first and first at the nexus of the universe. 
<laughs> oh god, I love it. Um, the, one other thing that uh, that I thought of actually while we were talking, uh, how accessible is it? Like we we talked about maybe a forty five day time frame, and most of that once you're in contract is is underwriting on the mortgage side. Uh, when when the attorney runs title, how long does it take for that to come back? Is that is, I. I could be wrong on this and that's why we have you on the show, but I, I understand Jersey is a little bit more uniform and a little more accessible as far as like the building file, what's on the CO, uh, you know, taxes, the, uh, the lien searches, do those come back fairly quickly? And is that pretty organized? Yeah, it's pretty organized. It kind of comes down to your attorney again. Like if it's your attorney is in po- on point with a good title company and the, the staff on the, t- the title company side as well. The attorney w- orders it at the right time. Like it can be real smooth and seamless three, four, five days max. Um, if you have a, t- there's a couple title companies that we've seen that are just like still waiting, still pulling. So like, what, I don't understand what you're waiting for. Can you tell me what you're waiting for? Like we can help. No, no we need to talk to this person. You talk to So like it is that we get most of our delay from bad personnel management for essentially um, the, if, you were with a good title company, it moves really fast. But what you said though on the CO side, CO is kind of weird around here. Every city does their own kind of CO. And it's could dramatically change what you have to do to actually get that CO or that CCO. Or even if there is a CCO, like Hoboken doesn't even do a CO or CCO for secondary transactions, only a smoke cert. But if you go right up here to Union City, you could spend 15 man hours trying to get the smoke cert, the CO and all the different things done. Because you got to go there, then someone comes out, then you go there again, then someone comes out again, and it's just like a, a, a crazy situation. So, unfortunately, for for realtors, fortunately for attorneys, that all falls on the realtor to kind of help the, the seller through that process. Um, mm-hmm. So, it really just depends on the municipality and how old school they may be or how streamlined they are, depending on the, who's running the show over there. But um, title's pretty smooth. I, I don't I don't know much about the title world, and is it, is it disjointed a little bit the title environment? It depends where you're like New York city is a much more efficient system. Everything is on something called ACRIS where, mm. you know, if there's, if there's a mortgage or a deed or, or satisfaction of mortgage, you can, you can look at it in advance. It's actually it's public knowledge, uh, public information. It's easy to log in and it's easily displayed. The buildings department is also in theory supposed to work that way. Although I'm dealing with, uh, you know, Queens properties now where, the PDF of the CO is missing. And of course it's like that one supposed to be two family that it's coming up as a question. Uh, but Long Island, very different. Uh, the, mm. the, everything, the, the clerk's office for Nassau County houses all the title documents and the liens. Suffolk is, is town by town. Uh, and when I say town on Long Island, I'm talking about like the big giant towns, like gotcha. Nassau County really only has three townships in it. And then you have like hamlets and incorporated villages. If you're in an incorporated village, the buildings file is probably there. And you have to go to the county for uh, mortgages and other liens. Uh, some of the towns are extremely hard to deal with. You can't, you have to do a FOIL request, like a freedom of information <laughs> oh, wow. uh, request just to get like the building file back. I'm dealing with that on the listing now. So it's, it's kind of wow. all over the place and probably i'm i'm just gonna say it's it's the worst managed uh system <laughs> at least in new york um but could be could be the whole country i'm, I'm very hard on on the process that we have in place right now it online. sounds pretty pretty inefficient it sounds like your whole situation is like the worst town here it's that's kind of like you're what you're saying i've experienced but luckily 
like it's one of like all the towns that we work up here it, so it's a little bit of a hope yeah you just grit your teeth and close really your eyes right. yeah you just like deal with it for that one transaction rather than normal yep. part of life but from mike's geographic lesson you can't get out so you really have no choice anyway <laughs> you're just stuck there to deal with the horribly inefficient bureaucracy of nassau and stuff county I would think I was telling you in San Diego, Mike, one of my best friends growing up, he used to live in DC and he moved to Merrick out by you. And I saw him so much more when he lived in DC. It was so much easier to see him and get down to DC than get to Merrick sometimes. I remember one day we played Beth Page like two, three, four years ago, probably at this time. It took me three and a half hours to get back to Hoboken for Beth Page on a Friday afternoon in the summer. I mean, probably stupid to, to think it was going to take anything less on my side, but uh, yeah, it's brutal. I mean, that's, that's the trip to DC that um, yeah. that took me to get back. It's crazy. That's why, I, that, that's why I think I have this like ingrained in, aversion to Jersey because of how and my parents just never took us there because of how long it took to get there when we were young. Yeah, right. Yeah. So besides Jets games, which I used to go to Mike with and it yeah. would take like all day. That was a whole there. Sunday going to the right. Meadowlands. Yeah. I actually, no, I, I like, I had no concept of time. I thought that Jersey was like 10 hours away yep. <laughs> from Long Island. It's so true. I forget. My grandmother, I have this like vague memory of my grandmother. We all did like the whole Brooklyn, Staten Island, Jersey thing, right? Like that was like where that Italian, my mom's last name, maiden name is Esposito. So it was like that move. And I remember one day saying something to my grandmother about Long Island. Like, oh, I was, I was, I was out there for a basketball game or something like that. I'm like, oh, I was out in Long Island. She goes, you know what Long Island is? It's where you move when you don't want any of your family to come visit you anymore. Because <laughs> she's like, everyone else is in Jersey. Like you moved to Long that's, Island. That's See you true. later, Jeff. <laughs> well, Lee's Lee's parents and brother have have made the, the transition now. Although he's not on Long Island anymore, so they they weren't just escaping him. They're escaping <laughs> the island in general. <laughs> it's, it really is funny, man. Like when you go out to other areas of the country, like we'll use San Diego, for example, again, like those guys, just, they're like familiar with like a 50 mile friggin' radius. It's all part of their world. And for yeah. us, it's just so much tighter and it's so much denser. There's more going on in a small area. So you kind of have, you know, more density of activity, but it's it, people get blown away when they hear how kind of segmented our, our neck of the woods is in Northeast. As, as- as as your team grows, have you thought about expanding outward at all, or yeah, but you, outward into Jersey? Yeah, so, no, I. Yeah, I'm not trying to get. You in, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get you into New York, Chef. Don't worry, it's okay. It's okay. I'm not trying to get <laughs> you to come okay. back to Midtown. I know that you disliked your I'm experience out. there greatly. I'm out. I'm never coming back. Can't get me to come yeah. back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're actually in in the process of doing that a little bit more proactively now. Like for so long, we were just referring so many people to other agents in feeder towns or reverse feeder towns that people move to here. Like there's like five that like 50% of people move to from Hoboken, Summit, Westfield, Glen Rock, Ridgewood, like Rumson. I'm like, this is kind of crazy. Like we just keep referring people and then we don't can't really control the transaction. Like then the agent stops doing the job we want them to do. And we need to kind of find a new person in that market. So over the last few years, we started bringing on some agents onto the team. What's up, little man? My guy does the same thing while I was at home. Um, we started bringing on people onto the team purposely that had some Hoboken and Jersey City experience so they can speak to what's going on around here. Maybe they lived here right out of college. And now they moved to a Westfield, a Monmouth County, a, a Bergen County. And now they can take do business here and still be able to take all the leads and all the opportunities out that way as well and kind of be within our team a little bit more. And then eventually purposely kind of build little pods around them 
and do more purposeful marketing in those areas. Uh, actually, what's the two? So Thursday, two days from now, we have a Hoboken to the Burbs webinar that we do. And it's literally, we market it as, we know you're moving to the Burbs. Take the HBB group with you. Let us be your, let us find you the right expert. Let us connect you with our expert there because they're all people that we've worked with here. They know of us from here and we're leveraging that brand to kind of expand organically and naturally into some of those other markets. Has there sense. been a learning curve to, as, as you expand? Is, has there been some road, you know, bumps in the road? What, what are you, what are you grappling with as you, as you try to expand other than just the process of, of scaling up, which is always difficult? Yeah. So the, the side that we're, the initial stuff was some of the paperwork and some of like logistics. And that was like a pretty steep learning curve, but we were able to kind of figure it out quickly once we knew like what we were looking for and what those differences were. Once we kind of figured them out, then it was easy to kind of build systems around that. The bigger one that we're, we're really starting to get some traction with now is, well, you're not a local expert in this town or you just started doing some buyers here. How can you list my property? I want you to local person that's been here for 20 years, 30 years kind of objection. So we just reverse engineered it and we said like, what is being a local expert? What, what is me doing business in your town for 30 years provide you that you can't get from me now? And as well as the local knowledge of this, it's the knowing the little nuances of this and knowing the, the, the school systems in the community. All right, well, what if I can on the spot have a checklist of all the things that a local expert brings to the table? Figure those things out, know where to get those resources from, build a, a literally a cheat sheet of those items and then you also get all the experience of 350, 400 transactions, whatever we've done in the last few years here in a super competitive market where we're up against killers every single day. There's five, 10 other awesome listing agents in our one square mile. You get all that marketing, all that negotiation, all that system of process that we have here. Plus, we just figured out exactly all the things that we need to know to be a local expert on the spot. And you get the the best of both worlds. And we're starting to get some traction on the listing side with that type of dialogue and that type of uh, marketing approach there as well. So the, yeah, uh, it's, the almost, it's almost em- embracing that you're not an expert, right? It's mm-hmm. embracing that and saying, what's so, why don't you rethink, why don't you rethink how you should hire, um, you know, mm-hmm. look at, look, think outside the box. If you want to sell your house for the most money, doing it the old fashioned way, maybe isn't the best way to do it. For sure. And we, we also, add, they're like, well, you don't know the other realtors around here. And I said, well, do you want a person that's going to give an inside track to two or three of their buddies and let them know what your bottom line is? Or do you want someone who doesn't have any friends here and they're fighting most for you? Which one, which one works better for you to get the most money? It's about right, it's asking that question, like, why do you think you need that person? Or why do you think you need to do it that way? I was just talking to one of the agents on my team earlier today and he was getting the objection. Well, just bring me a buyer and I'll sell it off market. And I said, well, did you ask him why he thinks that's the better approach? And he goes, no, well, let's role play this. Oh, just bring me a buyer. Well, you know, Mr. Seller, I could appreciate you wanting me to bring you a buyer, but why do you, what's your ultimate goal here? Will it get the most money? Well, if you wanted to get the most money, what is it about me bringing you a buyer off market that you think would achieve that? Well, I'd pay a little bit less commission, maybe. That's great. Do you think that having five or 10 people interested in your property all at the same time, creating a little bit of bidding war would be better or worse than saving one or 2% commission? Oh, no. Like, so, right. So like asking the right questions to kind of let them figure out, well, why do I need a local expert anyway? Why do I need someone who's been ingrained in the community that can Google, someone else can Google that information and find it and still bring other value to the table, right? Just asking the right questions to, to kind of get people thinking the right way. Exactly. So I guess, Jeff, why don't we, why don't we close this out by telling people, um, where you are in social media, what, you know, where can they find you if they want to talk about, 
um, why they shouldn't be afraid of Jersey uh, <laughs> or, um, you know, anything else you spoke about today, where, where can they get in touch with you? Yeah. Easiest place is our website. We're the HBB group, the HBB group.com. You can reach out to one of our awesome agents there, get in contact with someone to talk about Jersey, talk about moving to the suburbs. If you already live in the Hoboken or Jersey city area, uh, you can find us all over social media, the HBB group. Uh, we try to put a lot of content out about the community so people can see what Jersey's like, not to be scared, you know, not to be scared. It's cool here. There's a lot of nice things going on. You don't have to stay in, in Manhattan or, or go, stay in New York. You could come here. But if you need to stay in New York, too, we understand that we love our New York brethren as well. So uh, we just we just all about growing a, a cool real estate community for both the agents on our team and all the people we work with and just providing a really awesome uh, just service to our clients, no matter where they're moving and what their, their lifestyle is is choices of taking them work in the, in the uh, real estate world. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing you the next time out in Jersey. So I'll see you in about 30 to 40 years. Um, sounds good. I'll, I'll wave at you as we drive up 87 to get to the Catskills <laughs> over in Westchester. I'm, I'm forced to go there now because my brother yeah. and my parents are both there. So, um, now, where do they make, wind up? What part of Jersey? So my parents are in Florham park. Okay. My, my dad strategically found, the 55 and over community that's right across from the Jets training facility, nice. um, which he called a happy surprise, but I am uh, very, I'm a very Jets doubtful. fan. There's nothing happy about being a Jets fan. I'm yeah, a diehard guy. Jets fan. <laughs> I, think, I was, at, I I was just there at a golf course uh, Saturday, Pinchbrook, right around the corner from them. Nice little golf course. They're going to know the name Jeff Bergstein in the Jets locker room this year and be like, that guy Jeff Bergstein just just had a great tip as I was walking <laughs> into the training facility. He yelled it, but it was still good advice. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Yeah, that's that's a whole other podcast we could do on the Jets. The three of us have, okay. have combined over a century of, of misery uh, <laughs> regarding the Jets. So. Yeah. I'm actively trying to make my son anything but a Jets fan. I'm like, I can't do this to you. I can't do like. And then the Jets will go win a Super Bowl. Have no one to celebrate it with. He'll be like another thing. My my wife's a Giants fan, so my kids have no real. I guess the Giants have been good, pretty good for the last twenty years, just not recently. Yeah, they had a run about what, ten years ago or so, maybe eight, ten years ago. But yeah, they beat the Patriots for us at least a couple of times. That was nice. Exactly. That was those rare moments to be a Giants fan. Yeah, for sure. But all right, gentlemen, I really appreciate you guys having me on. I look forward to uh, talking to you guys soon. And um, Absolutely. Thanks for coming yeah, on. Appreciate it.